92.3 and AM 16.20. Welcome to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. Hope you are having a great Saturday. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today because we've got the big Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations that have come out this week, and I've got two of my favorite music geeks on the line with me this morning to discuss and debate and uh, de- decide if these are these are good enough. I, th- I think we are, we are qualified amongst the three of us to decide if these uh, these nominees are worthy. Uh, joining me, first of all, uh, the president and CEO of Pensacon, the host of Nightmare Theater, and a guy who does a lot of great stuff here in Pensacola. Please welcome Mike Ensley. Good morning. morning Good afternoon. Mike. Glad to have you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and from Vinyl Music Hall, he is the talent buyer there. He's responsible for basically everything you ever see on stage there. Uh, please welcome back to the show, Chris Wilkes. That would be me. Chris, glad to have you as always. So uh, I, I'm going to start. I'm just going to read off the the nominees that have uh, that have come up this weekend, just so everybody understands, because there seems to be a lot of confusion about this online for some reason. These are nominees. This does not mean these people are automatically in the Hall of Fame. There's right. a, there's a voting process. Uh, this this just means that they are eligible to possibly be selected this year to who, enter the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Is it the Senate? <laughs> yeah, it's the it's it's the Senate. It's not Jan Wenner anymore. So thank goodness for that. Uh, no, it's how this works. That's actually a great question, Chris, because a lot of people don't understand it. That's a conversation I've had this week too. So there is a nominating committee within the the membership of the Hall of Fame that decide that comes up with a slate every year. They they meet together and they decide, okay, we're going to nominate these artists, and it's a, the number varies every year, but it's. This is one of the biggest nominating classes this year with 16 nominees. And uh, then the vote goes out to the entire membership of the Hall of Fame. There is also a fan vote. What people don't understand about the fan vote is that all of the tallies of the fan vote count as one vote. So say 5 million people vote for the fan vote, that those 5 million people count as one vote. So, out of 1,000. Out of 1,000 ish. Yes. So. Yeah. That, that's okay. why you, you had, for the first time last year, the winner of the fan vote didn't make it in. Now, we might be grateful for that because the winner of the fan vote last year was Dave Matthews Band. And, uh, uh-huh. I, you know, I, I pr- oh. personally, I know they have a lot of fans, not my cup of tea, but, you know, hey, that's fine. But anyway, let's let's move on. The nominees for this year, uh, Mary J. Blige, Kate Bush, Devo, Foo Fighters, The Go-Go's, Iron Maiden, Jay-Z, Shaka Khan, Carol King, Bela Kuti, LL Cool J, New York Dolls, Rage Against the Machine, Todd Rundgren, Tina Turner, and Dionne Warwick. So I, I think it's a pretty imp- impressive class, and I just want to start with, uh, and, and Mike, I'll let pretty, you go first on wide this. Breath, too. Yeah, pretty, pretty wide. I, I, I always like to point out that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame doesn't necessarily mean just rock music. It's kind of right. popular music and culture from 1950 on. Uh, but, uh, Mike, I'll start with you on this. Uh, is there anybody on that list that you just feel adamantly does not belong? No. This is one of the best nominating, you know, nominated classes that I've seen. I don't, I don't think there's anybody on there that shouldn't be on there this year. Well, I, I agree with you. Chris, how about you? Uh, no, I, I think everybody belongs. Uh, I know Iron Maiden doesn't care that they belong, 
uh, I guess it was yesterday, Bruce Dickinson put out a thing saying, we don't care. Like, <laughs> the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is stupid. Uh, <laughs> but whatever. That, see, it's always interesting. There's always somebody like that that either just doesn't care or... or well, I, I, think, feel... I think it's more, it's more that there's been so few actual metal bands that have, uh, I, I think Metallica and... Oh, like Metallica's in Black Sa- Black Sabbath is in. Uh, there, there's yeah, a- I think I think those are the only two. Like like you can't argue that they're not metal uh, bands that are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Bruce Dickinson, I guess it was yesterday, was just like, yeah, they don't recognize metal. Like whatever. Like we don't want a bunch of old guys in Ohio <laughs> telling <laughs> us how important we are or aren't. Well, that that's where it's interesting because I mean, there's always going to be artists that are overlooked, and you know, some of these artists that are on this list this year have been overlooked for a long time. Yeah, they that are either getting nominated for the first time or they've been nominated before and haven't gotten in. I mean, you hear something like Carol King and Tina Turner, who seem like they should have been in already. And to be fair, let's make let's make clear. Both of them are already in the Hall of Fame. Carol King is in as a songwriter. Tina Turner is in as a member of the Ike and Tina Turner combo. So th- this would right. be a second induction for each of them This would, as okay. solo performers. So as bad as it sounds that they're not in yet, they are in, but they're not in in the configuration that, that they're being presented right. for this time. And, and, it, and it's worth noting that, you know, Dave Grohl is already in as well. That's true. So, yeah. Dave, yeah. Is, Dave is in with Nirvana. Foo Fighters, Fighters, Fighters great and everything, but Dave Grohl is already in once. That, that's true, and, and there are, there are a number of artists that are in there more than once. Uh, I think all four of the Beatles are in more than once. Uh, Eric Clapton is in three times. I think he holds the record right now uh, because he's in as a solo artist and with both uh, Cream and the Yardbirds, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't think Derek and the Dominoes quite made it in, but uh, you know he's you know somebody that's been with a number of actually you get people like that. I think everybody in Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young is in more than once because they all had. That was a super group when they came together the first time. Uh, so you, you get situations like that, and and that you know kind of has to weigh into your your considerations there. But going back to what you were saying, Chris, about there not being a lot of metal in there, and there's a lot of subgenres and and worthy acts like that that have been ignored. There's a lot of, of artists from the '80s that are long overdue to get in that have been ignored, and I think that that had a lot to do with the fact that uh, before this year. Uh, Jan Wenner, who was the the creator and publisher of Rolling Stone, really held a lot of sway over this process, and he was very publicly well known to be down on a lot of a lot of certain acts, and on '80s in in particular, he was not a big fan of a lot of the stuff that came out in the '80s, and it's taken getting some younger people onto that nominating committee that uh, to, to to change that, and we've seen that happening over the past few years. We've finally seen acts like Rush and Kiss get in. We've started to see uh, things like Hall and & Oates and some more, you know, that 80s era stuff getting in. And uh, somebody that's been credited with a lot of that is Questlove from The Roots, uh, wow. who, who's on the nominating committee. I know that he uh, was said to have led the charge for, for getting Hall & Oates finally inducted, and he has really advocated for a lot of that stuff. And now that Jan Winner's out, I think we're finally going to see a sea change, and hopefully we get... Some of these long-standing acts that just have been skipped over over the years. We 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 went through this whole period where 
there were these all these worthy acts out of the 80s and some of them still haven't even been nominated like Duran Duran uh that you know, long over that's, long over yeah third that uh that just couldn't get purchased and they were starting to induct 90s acts you saw Nirvana get in you saw Green Day get in you saw Pearl Jam get in uh, well, and, and they deserve they deserve to, but, well, but yeah, which is not to say they don't. But you know, there was basically a whole generation of artists that were more or less, other than a few, you know, key artists like U two and uh, REM, that were skipped over for for some time that they were eligible. In the past few years, they've started getting uh, in. This uh, the and excuse me for not knowing my Rolling Stone history uh, as well as I should, but. Uh, is that the Asian gentleman? Which one? Uh, the, no. the 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 head of Rolling Stone. Was that the guy that uh, the Asian guy that was uh, the head in the seventies? Uh, I think you're thinking of Ben Fong Torres, maybe. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. You're right. Yeah. No, you're not. Uh, and, and I only know him because I'm almost famous. Yeah, uh, Jan Wenner actually started the publication in the 60s. So okay. he, I mean, there's some cred there, but he was very kind of stuck in his era. And you, you see that with a lot of, I, I don't want to question anybody that's in the hall, but has anybody, have either of you ever listened to the Paul Butterfield Blues Band? I have not. No. Yeah, I've never listened. I, I'm not certain. I'm not certain that anybody that has. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so. Mm. <laughs> Uh, guys, we're coming up on our first break, but we, uh, we've got a lot more to talk about. We'll get to it when we get back. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We are talking about the nominees for the 2021 class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Mike Ensley and Chris Wilkes. And that was one of the nominees there, Foo Fighters. Uh, this next segment, guys, I want to get into, I want each of you to be thinking about, I'll go first on this so you have a minute to think. Pick one artist off of the, the list that is your absolute must include this time. They, they've got to get in, and they've got to get in this time. Uh, and and I'm going to go with the band I just played, Foo Fighters. I know Dave Grohl is in in already, but I, I think that the Foo Fighters are the last rock band that matters. And I, I think uh, I'd say that, especially on the the mega level, they are the last rock band to start up and really gain a mainstream large following that still has a mainstream large following that still when they put out a new album as an event when they go on tour they're going to sell out arenas uh you know there are other acts before them that you can still say that about but there aren't a whole lot of acts after them that you can say that about and i think that alone kind of 
that they're like the band that is to me keeping the flame of rock and roll alive. There, there, are, there certainly are rock bands that have come up since. There's some that have gotten fairly popular, and we'll see how they they are in the long term. But I mean, I'm hard pressed to name another band that's come up after them, another rock band that's come up after them that you immediately think, oh yeah, that's a rock and roll hall of fame band. This is a band that is destined to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If they don't get in this year, they're going to get in eventually. But I really feel like they are important enough and they are vital enough and they're such a great live act, too, that they deserve to go ahead and get in on the first ballot. So uh, now having made my case, uh, Chris, I'll, I'll let you go next. Who's your, who's your choice? Um, I'm going to have to say the same. Really? Um, I was actually just having this conversation yesterday with my fiance. Uh, that eventually in the next year or two, they're going to have to finally retheme the rock and roller coaster uh, at Disney World uh, that's been uh, themed to Aerosmith for however long it's been, 20-ish years. Uh, and the only band that I could think of that I thought was current enough but also... Uh, rock enough uh, and also uh, wide appeal enough that I could think of to retheme it to would be the Foo Fighters. Like, this was a conversation yesterday. Wow. Um, and I, no, I, I think you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Okay. Uh, I, I was expecting you to come up with somebody different, but I'm going I'm to count on Mike. I'm going to guess. And there's a reason I didn't choose the other band that I think is the absolute first. Well, first I, 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 I have an idea of who Mike's going to pick. I, I, I do, too. But let's see. Mike, uh, Mike who's your pick here? <laughs> My pick, of course, is the Go-Go's. That's um, what I thought. Of course. The, the, the highest-selling all-female band of all time, Barrier Breakers, um, dismissed sometimes for being too pop, but made – Three incredible albums. Um, you know, their debut album is just one of the best albums of the 80s. I, and I think that Talk Show, their third album, is highly underrated. It has one of the greatest, I mean, one of the greatest songs, I think, of the 80s in Head Over Heels. And uh, they just, they've just had so much influence on other people over the years. You know, I mean, the whole, you know, uh, you know, Riot Girl thing stems a lot out of them. You know, we know we know that comes out of the Runaways and Joan Jett, but the Go Go's are just as influential. And you know, the, they had the great documentary probably last year so. about them, and, and and well, yeah, probably more so. But but like you know, people like Kathleen Hanna and all those folks have pointed to them as being huge influences, and they've just they've just stuck around too. You know, they they get back together every now and again. They they reunite. They've had they've had their struggles and they've had their troubles, but they reunite and even last year put out a new single. It's been, it's, they're, they're just fantastic. And they, you know, just, just on the basis of how popular they became and how successful they became, I think they need to come in just and then that barrier breaking kind of way. Well, and I think too, that there are bands that are already in the rock and roll hall of fame that certainly were influenced by the go-go's. I, one I'll point out, and it may not be one that you immediately think of as green day. Uh, you know, Billy, yeah. oh, Billy yeah. Joe Armstrong has been very vocal about, uh, being inspired by and a fan of the Go-Go's. And in fact, when they did their reunion album uh, in the, oh, around 2000 circa there, uh, he wrote or co-wrote the lead single from it, a great song called Unforgiven. Uh, that, uh, God bless the Go-Go's. Yeah, yeah. And a great album and a great, uh, a great song. So, you know, that's, 
that, that's why where we talk about some of these acts that have been passed over over the years when there are bands that are in that have that claim them as influences that that in and of itself should be a sign that this is a band that's overdue. I think it's kind of unconscionable that they haven't even been nominated before this year, much less not in. And, uh, yeah. the, you know, there's a lot of bands you could say that about, but uh, the Go-Go's have got to be near the top of that list. And Yeah, and, uh, and, and I, I, I will not fight Mike Schwartz on this because they would have been my second pick uh, for sure. Well, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. They're probably my first pick, but I, I expected that one of you two guys would go for them. So I, want, I wanted to give you the chance. I didn't expect uh, to Chris to back me uh, up so vociferously on uh, Foo Fighters, so I thought we were going to get... Uh, I, I think I think a lot of that comes from the conversation I had with Christy yesterday and, like, trying to think of new themes for rock and roller coaster and just thinking who is iconic enough, who is, you know, widespread appeal enough, uh, and, and all that, and yeah, it's it's them. So uh, I wanted to to point out too. Um, I guess my next pick, as far as really needs to get in this year and is overdue, is probably the New York Dolls. And uh, of course, it, it's partly a sentimental pick because at this point we only have one member of the band still alive, uh, David Johansson, uh, who some of you may also know as Buster Poindexter. Uh, great lead singer, great front man. And uh, I, I, I want to see the dolls in while at least one of them is still alive to appreciate it. Of course, we just lost uh, Sylvain Sylvain, the, uh, the guitarist, yeah. a few weeks ago. And, uh, I, I, you know, A, it's overdue. This is a band that is incredibly important, may not be the most commercially successful no, act ever to get so into the Hall Incredibly. And it's kind of the last leg of the tripod as far as like the proto-punk, the bands that influenced punk. I, I think the big three bands that influenced punk before punk became punk are the New York Dolls, the Velvet Underground, mm-hmm. and the Stooges. And and the Velvet Underground and the Stooges are in already. So I, I think we've got yep. to get that that third leg in, uh, which which sounds well, way well, raunchier well, than I mean it to was... do, but that's, <laughs> that's appropriate for the Dolls. <laughs> There would be no, I mean, there would be no British punk without the New York Dolls. I mean, they just changed everything for, for when they, when they appeared on television in Great Britain, which of course, you know, it happens a lot. They're, the, the Brits are a lot more hip back in those days to what we were putting out rather than what we, you know, in America even saw. And they would appear on television over there and people, you know, you can hear people like Paul Weller or, you know, or any, a lot of those guys that saw them on Top of the Pops or, uh, you know, any of those shows over the old Grey Whistle Test, and we'll tell you, like, it, it just changed their lives when they saw the New York Dolls on television. Yeah. And and as influential as they are on British punk, I mean, there's definitely an influence there with the Ramones, with Johnny Thunders. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 not, yes, UK punk, but absolutely New York punk, too. And Oh, yeah, uh, oh, yeah. well, absolutely. And again, it, it comes down to that... Uh, it, that point of this is a band that influenced a lot of bands that are already in the hall of fame. Uh, you know, the Ramones are in, uh, the sex pistols are in, uh, the clash, you know, there, there are a number of bands like that, that deservedly so are in the hall of fame already, but, but the dolls deserve it just as much. And it'd, it'd be great to see them. Uh, yeah. Smith heavily, Smith heavily influenced by the New York dolls. surprisingly yeah. so. But. Yeah. And, uh, and also a band that's overdue that's been nominated before, but not in yet. Uh, is is there an, yeah. another another sentimental favorite for for either of you on on this list in that in that vein like the dolls, 
Uh, Mike, I'll let you go first on that. Well, there, there's really two more that I think are sentimental for me that I think should be in, and that's Kate Bush because she's just a phenomenal artist, and, and she definitely deserves to be in. Uh, again, not as commercially successful as a lot of the bands on this list, but very much a influential force um, in music and just just a, just an artist at the end of the day she's really an artist not not a you know she's not a rock and roll person she's not a you know she, she's just an artist that makes music and I think that's that's important to have in the in there as well and the other one of course is Devo you know the one of the again more, more influential bands of uh, and guys who did something completely different with music than anybody else was doing at the time. And I think a lot of people know them from Whip It and, you know, that was a, kind of their big hit. But, you know, we've we've seen them, their their influence uh, stretch across kind of, you know, avant-garde rock and, and electronic. Well, they're Johnny and, you know, Flash's even, third favorite band. <laughs> yeah, and, they, and, and, and they've, you know, they've appeared on, you know, in Target commercials now their music's being used. It's like they, they just have, they have this uh, uh, almost uh, insidious kind of, way they've crept into pop culture that people don't really understand. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of people who are under, you know, or, or, or maybe over 40 who wouldn't know that the, the pyramid had, if they saw it, they wouldn't know what that was. You know what I'm saying? So I, th- I think, uh, I think they definitely deserve to be in as well. Well, and I think that insidious creep into pop culture there is really kind of part of the whole concept of the band to begin with, which is kind of absolutely a, a big part of why they're important to go back to Kate Bush for just a moment. If you need to understand how influential she is, keep in mind that just last year, uh, Meg Myers had a number one hit on alternative radio with a cover of a Kate Bush song running up that hill. So, you know, this, yeah. this is, I mean, a, I mean Hound, Hounds of Love may be one of the top wouldn't exist three or four albums of the eight yeah. Uh, so, uh, Chris, do you have another one on your list on the list here that's maybe a sentimental favorite for you? And this is what I've had in my head, uh, and I know they'll never get in, and they won't care if they ever get in. Uh, but I'd say Fugazi. Okay. I mean, I was thinking more because I was going to come to bands that haven't gotten it, uh, gotten nominated yet later, but I was I was more thinking about this year's nominees. Oh. Um. Now I've forgotten most of the list. Uh, the, the, from this year, I, I'd say Kate Bush too. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, lots of lots of worthy acts on the list, and uh, you know, we'll certainly be talking about some more of them when we come back from the break. Uh, you're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. <laughs> Ninety-two three and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. 
We are talking about the nominations this year for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Mike Ensley and Chris Wilkes. And I wanted to make a point of playing a little bit of an artist nominated this year that a lot of our listeners might not be terribly familiar with, and that's Fela Kuti, uh, who is, for those who don't know, pretty much the inventor of the Afrobeat genre and uh, created a sound and uh, and that is just hugely, hugely influential. You may not realize that because you, you know, he's an African artist. You may not have heard of him. Uh, but if you listen to bands like Talking Heads, like Vampire Weekend, like uh, even Paul Simon's Graceland album, uh, all of that derives from Afrobeat. And uh, it's, it's just he's this massive artist that a lot of people don't realize. And again, somebody who is is a massive influence on other artists. In fact, uh, Jay-Z, who is nominated this year, is a huge Fela Cootie fan and produced a Broadway musical about his life along with a couple other people. Beyonce was a producer on it as well. Will Smith was a producer on it. Uh, so, you know, just this this huge worldwide artist that maybe American audiences don't know that much, but deserves to get in. And I think that's one of the, the important things that people don't realize about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It, it isn't and it shouldn't only be about popularity. I, I think I think the influence is really important, and I think that it's good to see artists like him get nominated and uh you know i'll mention another artist in here that's nominated this year that uh we can talk a little bit about too is uh, todd runrun you know not somebody that's had a huge amount of pop success but is an incredibly influential artist and an incredibly influential producer and i i think that alone kind of qualifies him for getting in he's had, had a few pop hits too and you know as a name people know but uh Mike, what do you what do you think about guys like this that are more the influence than they are the the act that everybody knows? Well, I mean, Todd Rundgren definitely needs to get in. I mean, he's you know, I mean, just even if he goes in as a producer, because he is so influential and he's produced such a wide variety of artists, you know, from you know from straight up rock kind of mainstream stuff all the way to like bands like XTC. You know, he he's he's done everything. Um, he he's definitely one of those guys that needs to get in. Um, and speaking of, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, advocate now on a guy who's been looked over for now 27 years. He's been eligible and has not been put into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Who's also, you know, did have you know one major song that I think everybody knows, but is is a huge influence and a huge in a songwriting sense is just one of the greats, and that's Warren Zevon. Warren's not in the Rock and Roll Hall oh. of Fame, and that's just ridiculous. Um, he's He's one of the most influential artists, you know, and it, you know, and sadly when he passed away, he's making his last album. You can see that because how many artists showed up to support him? You know, Bob Dylan says he's one of his favorite songwriters. Uh, Bruce Springsteen showed up to sing one of his songs on the album. Um, you know, I mean, just everybody. Man, did, did you all. ever see the, the, the last time he performed on Letterman? Because, you know, Letterman oh, yeah. was a huge fan of his. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, so but that's a guy. That, that's a guy who definitely deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's just an incredibly, incredibly influential artist as well, and 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 what, what a songwriter. Well, and I knew knew that was definitely a name that was going to come up, and I couldn't agree with you more. Overdue, never even been nominated, and I, I, I think that's just patently ridiculous. Uh, you know, I'll just use the word absurd again. Yeah. Well, so let's go. Let's go ahead and move over to that topic since it, since it's been brought up. And Chris, before the break, you mentioned Fugazi as an artist yeah. that you'd like. So, so d- defend that. Defend your work here. I just, I mean, 
they defined an entire scene uh, for a decade or more. Uh, their sound, they were never going to be on the radio, uh, for sure. Uh, but their sound defined an entire scene for at least a decade. And uh, going back to what you were talking about before, about whether popularity or influence is more important, um, it's the influence uh, with that band. Well, yeah, I, I agree. And I think that they, they're they not a band that I'm going to write off ever getting in because they, I think there's still a huge influence in there. I think they still have a huge audience and there's a mystique around them uh, because of the whole DIY, $5 shows, no merchandise, uh, you know, where there's a... Not sta- a Stasi t-shirt. Yeah, there, there's, there's, there's a, a staying power there that I think we're starting to see when you look at things like there's, a, uh, there's some great videos on the internet of uh, kids in school of rock bands covering Fugazi's Waiting Room, which is one of their greatest songs. Uh, and, and I think a song that's become pretty widely known despite not being a radio song. Uh, there's, they played at Ice Flyers games, man. <laughs> yeah, there, there's something there. there there's something there. Don Watson, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm not writing off uh, Fugazi ever getting in. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw mine in here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with two because I... Uh, there's there's two that I don't think you can deny that have as yet so far been denied. Uh, first is the Pixies. Uh, you know, they've yeah. never been nominated and just a massive influence on everything that came out in the 90s from Nirvana to Weezer to y- you name it. Just they, they more there's, or less there, invented there, the loud, there, quiet, loud there, dynamic. There's a, there's a quote from Kurt Cobain that he just said, we never wanted to be an arena band. We just wanted to be the Pixies. Yeah, and uh, he, yeah. he cited that as a direct influence on Smells Like Teen Spirit. Definitely. And a band that is still around in, in a form. I don't think it's quite the same thing without Kim Deal in the band, but, uh, you know, still around, still vital. Uh, Black Francis is a great songwriter. And uh, the, everybody that's been in that, that band. Show? What's that? Did you come to that show? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen him. In, and it was almost the whole Pixie stuff. I've seen him in every possible configuration that I you can think the, of. I, I've never seen him with the Pixies. I saw him at the Catholic, uh, and of course I saw him at Vinyl Solo, uh, but I never, I, I've still never seen him with the Pixies. I've seen him so, solo electric, solo acoustic, with the Pixies, with the Catholics, and with his first uh, solo backing band. So I mean, there's 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 not a configuration I think left to see unless he likes. Starts performing on melodica and zither instead of guitar. <laughs> that, that would be the next thing, I guess. Uh, and then uh, the other one I want to make, yeah, the other one I want to make sure to mention. Uh, and this might seem left field and silly to a lot of people, and in some ways that's the point. But Weird Al Yankovic. No, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, he should be. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a guy. Who else in music has that long a career? especially in comedic music. He is, you know, if we're going to look at, at rock and roll as, as, a, as, a, as royalty, he's the court jester. And, and, and the court jester belongs in as well. And above and beyond that, man, if you actually listen to those records and, or see him live, the musicianship 
is absolutely incredible. It's not not, not just Al, but the, his long-standing band. Uh, you know, the, those guys can and do play anything. So I mean, I mean, I think okay. I think he's an artist that's all long overdue. And Mike, of course, yeah, you were kind enough to bring him to Pensacola last year for for Pensacon. So I'm, I'm guessing you may have gotten to spend a little bit of time with him. I got to talk to him a little bit. I mean, he's he's to me, he's one of those quintessential artists who he he changes with the times. I mean, the the nature of parody songs is that he has to, but even his uh, originals are fantastic. I don't think people hear those as much as they hear the parodies, but they, I mean, they're, they're really great. You know, a lot of artists consider it an honor to be, you know, I mean, famously there's a couple of people who didn't like it, you know, Coolio and Prince didn't want him to do any parodies, but most everybody else, you know, they, they, they enjoy being parodied by Weird Al Yankovic. It's really an honor, you know, and I think Nirvana was the ones that told him you can do any song you want to, to parody, parody us, just don't do, make it about food. I think that was what they told him. So he, uh, yeah, he's, Al called into uh, SNL uh, when when they were the music guest on SNL, uh, and Al called in because he knew Victoria Jackson from being in UHF, uh, and and was just like, "Can you just get me on the phone with one of them?" Uh, and he did, and Kurt was just like, "As long as it's not about food, we're cool." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it has become a badge of honor, and you're right too, Mike. Not to, just he's changed with the times; he's even changed his strategy and the way he does things with the times. And that you know, the the last album that he put out was a few years ago, Mandatory Fun, and he kind of said basically, "This is probably my last album. I'll you know, I'm gonna still make music, but I'll probably release it a single at a time and 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 digitally and, and that sort of thing." He also made like a video for every single song. Uh, and just put them all out there. Yep. So, so you know, lot, lots of artists that are deserving and lots of artists that are overdue. We'll uh, we'll have to see what happens. I was a little disappointed that Kraftwerk didn't get nominated this year. They've been nominated several times and they they aren't in yet. And we lost uh, Florian this this past year. So I thought maybe there'd be some some sentiment there. But you know, we'll have to see what what comes. Uh, the the nominations, as we've mentioned, are out, but the uh, actual inductees will be named in May. And then hopefully we'll be able to have a real induction ceremony later this year, uh, guys. It's been great talking about you, with, talking to you about this stuff. Uh, you know, all of us could go on for hours about this, but we are out of time. We're going to be back after the break to talk about Wandavision. Mike's going to stay with us. Chris, thank you for being here. You're listening yes, to Let's sir. Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Yes, no, maybe I don't know. News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We are moving on to talk about the latest episode of WandaVision that just came out yesterday as we've been ending the show every week talking about this uh, this great series on Disney+. Plus. Mike Ensley from Pensacon is still with us and joining us as he has been every week to talk about WandaVision. Jeremy Branch is here as well. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I cannot wait to hear your guys' theories on episode six. This is wild, so uh, looking forward to hearing what you guys think about it. 
Well, uh, you know, I thought it was another great episode. It felt a little short to me. Like there was a lot that came at us, but when it, when it was over, I was like, Oh, it's over. And this felt like an episode where there's like building blocks here, but, uh, but I have to start out with, first of all, the reason I played boss of me by they might be giants is because it was the theme song from Malcolm in the middle. And that was obviously the Keystone sitcom for this episode in the sitcom world. Uh, and I was surprised by that. I don't know why I was surprised by that. I guess I'd had it so in my head that uh, that the 90s should be full house, even though they did a little full, full house stuff last week, uh, that I just didn't even think of Malcolm in the Middle as, as, as a touchstone. But what, what a great show and what a what a great pull for, for the WandaVision team to to go with that. Uh, and even the, to the extent that the theme song and the score sounded like the, the music that They Might Be Giants did for the show. Cause they did all the scoring for Malcolm in the middle. Uh, my personal favorite band. So that, uh, that in and of itself was something I was really excited about. I know Mike is a big fan too. So I'm guessing you were as well. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Really... And it's, sorry, go ahead. No, it just, it just kind of, you know, when I saw it, I was like, Oh wow, that's, that's, that's clever. That's smart. That's, that's not a show that I would have went with for the nineties. There's a lot more, kind of iconic sitcoms, but when you think about the family sitcoms and the way that they were going to portray the family this, in this particular episode, it made complete sense. Oh yeah. I mean, especially yeah, I with the way, point. especially with the way Quicksilver was, uh, was depicted in this episode, there was very much that like nineties Fox energy about, uh, about yeah. his performance. Like it almost felt like a Jim Carrey esque kind of performance. That's a good call. I, I felt like um, Malcolm in the middle was a little outside the box for, as you guys said, uh, as far as picks, because up until this point, we've been looking at sitcoms kind of from that three camera perspective, right? Where it's in front of a live studio audience and Malcolm in the Middle breaks away from that. Um, it looks like the first episode of Malcolm in the Middle actually ran in the year 2000. So it's interesting that we're kind of falling in between decades a little bit. Um, as you guys just now said, it, it was like the last episode was a little bit 80s a little bit 1990s, but this one, it's almost like it wears those influences on its sleeve so much. Like you said, um, the score of the episode, it's got that kind of ska upstroke feel to it. And it just really encapsulated the kind of zaniness, I guess, and very quintessential 90s-ness of the show, despite the fact that I guess it, it did come out in 2000. It has a lot of carryover from one of my favorite decades. So yeah, I thought that was a really neat nod, and they did it well. And the way that they were able to integrate the classic costumes into it, I thought was was really clever too. Well, that's a good point too, Jeremy, because it does seem like things are speeding up as we go along, and and the time jumps are getting a little longer. I, you're you're right that it was 2000, but it does seem like it's like at the tail end of the 90s, but it it was really 2000, and I think we're getting up to that era. You know, we've seen some. Uh, some preview shots that look like modern family in, in the, in the future. So we know we're going to get up to really basically almost present day in the, in the sitcom world. It is, it is moving along faster. And, and I, I wonder if that is, uh, I, I'm guessing it's intentional, but I'm wondering if that's a plot element that we're not seeing. What do you think, Mike? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I yeah, I think we're getting towards the, the clash of the real world and Wanda's world. So I think that's kind of why we're moving faster and moving ahead. And I think that'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, they're, they're really trying to Monica Rambo and making this incursion into the hex now. So we'll see, we'll see what happens, but yeah, I think, I think we're definitely speeding up and, and we're going to catch up to modern times and that should be where our climax is. Um, that, that, that'll be where our, uh, you know, our big 
issue comes in is, is how, how are we going to get Wanda out of this? There, there are some ways where I felt like this episode was, uh, was treading water a little bit. I think we all wanted to get a lot more information about, uh, about Pietro and after, after that amazing cameo at the end of the, the last episode. And it was interesting because he was in the entire episode. He was very much a, a presence in the episode and, and drove a lot of what happened in the episode but we still don't really know what's going on with him. And I, I'm, I'm dying to know now, now I'm questioning whether this is the Fox X-Men Pietro or whether it is the Pietro we already know from the Marvel cinematic universe, just in a different body. Uh, mm. So, I mean, I, I, I think we all really thought, okay, this is how they're bringing in the X-Men. I, are, are you questioning that now, Jeremy? Yeah, that thought creeped into my mind, not in the way that you said it, which I think is also a really cool theory. Um, in my mind, though, it started to feel like maybe this isn't Quicksilver at all. Maybe there is this this greater entity, and we've kind of speculated, is it Mojo? Is it Mephisto? Um, is there some greater character? I was very strongly in the camp of Agnes is bad, and she's manipulating this whole situation. There is that scene at the end of the episode that very much throws that all into question, but it's possible she's being deceptive. I think it's interesting what you said, that it, it feels like the show was kind of spinning its wheels on one hand, and then also that it was short and crammed in a lot of information, because I feel the same way. It's like it, it's touching on a lot of different things, but not wrapping it up in a way. And I, I think that's kind of uh, what's going to keep us coming back is this slow drip of, of information and these reveals. But yeah, I got the same vibe you did that at first I was so confident, like, oh, yeah, they're bringing in the X-Men. This is 100 percent Quicksilver. But then you have to take a step back and realize that deception is kind of the name of the game. Nothing is what it seems in WandaVision. And I think that they're kind of going to continue to go down that road and the ambiguity is going to what keeps us coming back. And then when we finally figure out what the hell is going on, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be pretty amazing. See, I'm also starting to to believe in another theory and I have to give credit. I saw a screen crush video that uh, kind of detailed this, this idea that uh, really made me start thinking, you know, everybody's been focused on Mephisto and Mojo and mutants. There, there's a reason Monica Rambeau is in the show. There is a reason 100%. that there is a reason that we keep hearing about Captain Marvel. Is this the Kree scroll war, which is very connected to the vision in the Scarlet Witch it, I mean, are, are the Cree responsible for this? Is 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 there something more going on here than just the immediate fan theories? Mike, what do you think? No, I don't think so at all. I, I think this is uh, I think this is all Wanda. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, Agnes is kind of in there. I don't know if she's a red herring. You know, we I mean, we think that's Agatha. I mean, I guess that's the prevailing theory. But I I think this is all Wanda. I think this is all Wanda's grief. I think this is all in Wanda's head. But when it's in Wanda's head and you're one of the most powerful entities on the earth, that you can create your own reality. And I think that's a lot of what's going on here. Um, and I think there's – I don't, I don't even know if there's an outside influence anymore. I, I kind of think that they're, they're going to have to break through to Wanda and get her out of her grief to make this world back. And I, and I don't know where she's manifesting you know, a different Quicksilver from. It, it almost makes you – I, I do think this is all going to end up tying into the multiverse and into, you know, the next Spider-Man movie and into the Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. So I do think that that's probably going to come into play at somewhere that Wanda may be pulling stuff from a different universe, a different multiverse, and not even be aware of it just because of her power. I mean, uh, you know, she could have defeated Thanos 
single-handedly, I think, uh, you know, had they really been able to, to, to play this out. I, I, and I think that people underestimate her power until until now, really. They're, start, they're starting to understand the full power of the Scarlet Witch. We haven't really put up a spoiler warning yet because I don't think we've gotten too spoilery about this episode, but I think we're about to. So j- just a mention of spoiler warning. You should know this by now if you've been listening every week anyway. The, the big red wave when Wanda expands her territory towards the end of this episode and, and we see Darcy get sucked in uh, amongst other things and other people. We know that something's going on with Monica, with her going in and out of the, the, the temporal zone or whatever we're going to call what Wanda has created here. Is this the creation of mutants in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? It definitely could be. I don't know that it is, but it definitely could be. I mean, there's going to have to be some retconning because obviously when the Marvel Cinematic Universe started, they couldn't use mutants, right? So the mutants just weren't a thing, and and we kind of had just people would, you know, they explained it away in a different way. But, yeah, I think we could be coming back to people getting rewritten on the cellular level as Darcy talked about. So we could be seeing the beginning of mutants and what mutants are. Um, I do, you know... I do hope that we're going to see the X-Men come into some of this and, and play because the, you know, the Scarlet Witch and, and Quicksilver obviously have huge connections to the X-Men as well. So we'll see what happens, but I mean, it's certainly a possibility. Well, and that brings up the point. Uh, we know that there is some yet to be seen big time actor coming onto the show. And yeah. uh, we also have seen Monica referencing her guy that they're going to meet up with, which is probably going to be in the next episode. Any theories on whether those are one and the same and who that might be, Jeremy? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, maybe I'm in the dark as far as who did anybody announce uh, the actor? Or are we uh, speculating? Well, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of speculation about Reed Richards. Oh, interesting. We, we interesting. Do, we do know an FF movie is coming in a couple of years. Would, would they, Mike, do you think they're introducing the FF this early? Uh, I, I don't see it for this. Um, but I mean, it, it, anything's possible at this point. I, you know, if Patrick Stewart had said he wasn't going to do anything else, I would think Professor X could be a good, you know, but maybe McAvoy is going to come in and do it. You know what I'm saying? Now that we've introduced that universe as well. I, I, I just don't know where they're going yet. That's what's keeping me coming back to the show. It's interesting of who they're going to bring in, what they're going to bring in. Um, but you know, it's going to obviously have to be, you know, the thing that makes me think someone like, um, Xavier would be that, they have to break through the hex. They have to break through and get a hole into this world. So it's going to have to be somebody who's pretty powerful to do that. Well, there there are definitely still lots of questions, and I agree. That's one of the things that keeps me coming back, and it's one of the things that I think is why I keep recommending to people, don't wait to binge this. Watch it week by week, even though there's only a few weeks left, just so you can enjoy some of that suspense that they're creating. Uh, and to create some more suspense, guys, unfortunately, as much as I'd love to keep talking about this, we're out of time. But we'll definitely be uh, following up with WandaVision next week and a lot more. Mike and Jeremy, thanks so much for joining me this week. We'll be back next week. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620.